Well, peace be with you. Good morning, everybody. Um, well, welcome to Sojourn Galleria. My name is Dodds, as Nathaniel said. I'm one of the pastors at Sojourn Heights, and as you may know, uh, Sojourn Galleria and Sojourn Heights are part of a larger family of churches together in Houston who exist to see the presence of God and his people spread and multiplied in the city through making disciples, multiplying parishes, and planting churches. I have great, great affection for you, Sojourn Galleria. I thank God for you, and I am very encouraged by what the Lord has been doing here in this church. I'm honored to be with you this morning and hope that we might be encouraged by each other's faith, uh, by God's grace. Last week, you all concluded a short series in the book of Mark and took time to consider the growth of God's kingdom and the church's specific role and invitation therein. And next week, you all will begin a study in Exodus, and you'll take time to consider the history, our history, as God's people. Uh, Exodus is not just a story of some ancient civilization. It's our story. Um, And so in the midst of these two series, we're going to turn to the Psalms. Perhaps in studying the kingdom's invincibility, um, we can extrapolate, or we may extrapolate, that we as kingdom citizens, as kingdom ambassadors, as kingdom missionaries, are likewise invincible. But the Bible tells us otherwise. Jesus himself said to us, in this world, you will have trouble. Not maybe, not possibly, but certainly. Um, So this sermon is an opportunity for us to pause and acknowledge our humanity and hear God's word that invites us to come to him in any state that we're in. And for some of you, Psalm 88 describes exactly where you are right now or where you've been at your most desperate some of you have yet to experience such a dark season and perhaps, perhaps you never will. But, but whether for your own comfort or the comfort of another, whether today or sometime in the future, these words are for every one of us just as they were for Israel. The Psalms are more than ancient poems. They are the songs and prayers of God's people. They are prayers inspired by God for the purposes of being sung and spoken to him in every circumstance and season of life. And they divinely awaken us to what we are feeling and thinking, and they also give us a lens through which to interpret the full spectrum of our experiences in this world. The Psalms shaped the emotional life of Jesus They described the emotional life of Jesus. Can we even conceive of the fact that Jesus, when he gathered with his parents in the synagogue, sung these psalms? The word sung the word. How amazing is that? Today we're looking at Psalm 88 and we're talking about depression in light of the resurrection. So in one of the the greatest works of Italian literature, the Divine Comedy, Dante, on his journey through hell and purgatory, says this. Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself within a dark wood where the straightforward path had been lost to me. Oh, how hard a thing it is to tell what a wild and rough and stubborn wood this was. I did not die and yet lost life's breath. Depression feels like an eternal sadness, like an abiding hopelessness, 
that renders us unable to believe that anything will get better. Perhaps when we're emotionally healthy, it's easy for us to think of both very difficult and very good things going on in our lives, but in depression, we can't see anything good. We become sealed off from ourselves, from other people, from the rest of the world. Depression is cold, it's private, it's lonely, it's exhausting, it's isolating, and it's painful. But it's not just pain, it feels like meaningless pain. Abraham Lincoln, who was afflicted with regular bouts of depression, once said, this is all I want in life, for this pain to seem purposeful. I am now the most miserable man living. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better, it appears to me. Depression is suffering that simply can't be reduced to one universal cause because on nearly all levels, it involves a complete absence, an absence of affect, an absence of feeling, an absence of response, of of interest. The most consistent feeling in depression is pain, but for all intents and purposes, when we're in depression, we just feel like the walking dead. And we often think, we often think that if our circumstances were better, then we would be too. But our depression has a logic all its own. Because when we experience depression, it becomes very difficult to distinguish between a loving embrace, the death of a close friend, or the news that someone has just been engaged. What is good, what is awful, what is wonderful, can all kind of feel the same. For some, this can feel like a complete darkness as though someone has turned off all the lights in the room. For others, it can feel flat, gray, hazy, like a, like a perpetual cold and rainy day. But either way, it makes seeing, hearing, thinking, and feeling impossible. These emotions, depression, despair, darkness, hopelessness, they do not respond to practical advice or positive thinking because these things don't even touch issues of hope, of meaning, of worth, or the why is this happening to me that depression raises. Practical advice Step-by-step processes, they shout from the top of the abyss, but they do not go down into it. Such weak attendants don't follow Dante into his dark wood. And they don't help us either. What we need must go deeper. Now the Psalter contains many Psalms of suffering in which the author is in deep depression, deep despair and distress. And in every single one of those psalms, there is a resolve. There's a resolve or relief of some kind in light of God's character, his promises, his truth, his strength, his goodness. Except for two. Psalm 39 and Psalm 88. In these two psalms, there is no resolution in hope. The authors descend into the chasm and they do not resurface. 
Darkness, depression, despair. These are the themes of Psalm 88. Look again at the very last verse. My companions have become darkness. That's how this prayer concludes. It concludes in the dark. The author of Psalm 88 says, is saying in this, God, darkness is my only friend. In fact, darkness has been a better, a better and more faithful companion than you have. What is a prayer like this doing in the Bible? A prayer that doesn't resolve in hope but ends in darkness. I believe it's going to teach us many things. So the author of Psalm 88 is a man named Heman. And while we don't know the circumstances that he was facing, he does tell us that there are two kinds of darkness going on for him in this. There's the despair and darkness outside of him in his circumstances. And there is the, the, the distress and pain and darkness on the inside of him in his soul. See, he's not just facing trouble, he's facing death. That's what Sheol, the pit, the grave, Abaddon are. They are the places where the dead go to be forgotten. And he also says, my soul is full of troubles. I have no strength. I'm like a dead man lying in a grave. I'm overwhelmed. I'm pressed down. I'm drowning. I'm helpless. I'm trapped. And my friends, they look at me like I'm contaminated. They've left me. In the book of Proverbs, which is a book in the Old Testament packed with wisdom, it says, it tells us that even if we have failing health and everything is going wrong, that if our soul is strong and we sense God's presence, we can face anything. We can make it through anything. But it says, if our souls are crushed, it doesn't matter if everything else is amazing. If everything else is perfect, no one can bear living like that. And we know this to be true from our own experiences, don't we? That's what's going on with Heman in Psalm 88. It's not just that he feels like God has left him. He knows that God is gone. He believes that God is so angry with him that he's rejected him and forgotten him. And even though he's reaching out to God and asking to be saved, he still ends his prayer certain that God is nowhere to be found. What does this teach us? First, most plainly, the Bible is giving us a true picture of what can happen to us, of what can happen in us. Scripture is not trying to convince us that if we give God our faith, that he in turn gives us a pain-free life. The Bible is telling us that we can be faithful Christians and still end up in despair. It is possible to obey God, to do all the right things, to pray all the right prayers, to believe all the right theology, all of the right doctrine. Darkness and depression can still come. I know it's easy to believe that if we were just more pious, that depression would never come knocking. But here we have a psalmist, an author of the Bible that has been leveled in such a way 
that he feels like life has ended and God is gone. Now you see, Heman was a Levite. And not just any Levite. Levites were the priests of Israel. They were the ones who spoke on behalf of God to the people and advocated to God on behalf of the people. But Heman was a Levite among Levites because he was the grandson of a very famous Israelite priest named Samuel. He was a musician, he was a singer, he was a prophet in Solomon's time. And King David appointed him along with two other men to lead God's people into God's presence through worship. Heman was a man among men. He was God-fearing, God-loving, God-glorifying priest and worship leader, yet he experienced this kind of suffering. Psalm 88 also teaches us that depression, deep depression, might not go away for a while. Depression could last for a long time. As Heman says, afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, I am helpless. Could he be exaggerating? Maybe, probably. I know that in depression, that's what it feels like when we face darkness. It can become it can become as though it has been everywhere and it's been all a part of our past. It's only gonna be part of our future. It's only a part of our present. We do have something in us that says, if I'm with God and I do the right things and I pray the right prayers, then despair and depression may come, but it won't last for long. But the Bible just tells us that we're wrong. Depression and despair could visit for a day, a weekend, a year, or years. And triggers for depression aren't always based on circumstances. It could come when things are going terribly. It could come when things are going wonderfully. I know there's some of us that deal with depression and waves of darkness even on an hourly and daily basis. And I know that's scary. But at the same time that it's really hard, it is an astounding mercy to us that God would properly set our expectations. Even as we follow Christ, we're going to experience suffering and darkness in this world. It may look like this. The way that Heman describes is not some anomaly. We may feel like this one day. Perhaps nothing else in life reminds us so clearly that we are not God and this earth is not heaven like an indescribable despair that defies cause and has no immediate cure. But times of depression are also the best times to learn about the grace of God. You will learn a bit about God's grace during times of ease, but you will learn a wealth of knowledge about his grace and grow in immeasurable ways during the darkest times of your life. Isn't, isn't that our experience? Isn't that what we've known? But it does mean that we, le- we must learn how to suffer well. And that's something else that Psalm 88 teaches us. Heman shows us, the Bible shows us that depression and darkness can be grieved in a Godward direction. I'm going to say it again. Depression and darkness can be grieved in a Godward direction. 
Heman describes all of his fears. He uses all of the metaphors. He uses all of the word pictures. He shares his anger, his confusion, his questions. He brings every bit of what he's feeling and what he believes to be happening, exaggerations and all. But laced in with these verses are words that express his deep dependence. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. These are the hope-filled lines of the psalm. God, you're the one who saves me. You are my God. Morning, noon, and night, I hold out my hands to you. I cry to you. My prayers, they reach you. Throughout this psalm, Heman is suffering in a Godward direction. He's angry. He's accusatory. He's, he's nearly insulting. I mean, verses 10 through 12 are at least insulting, if not blasphemous. But he is suffering to God. He is suffering towards God. And that, according to the book of Job, is honoring to God. Heman stays with God, even though he's not getting the relief that he's asking for. Which shows us that Heman is truly in this for God and not himself. Now, if we're honest, when we first came to know the Lord, we all came to him in a state of needing something from him. Our lives were a mess, our souls were empty, we had made a horrible error and couldn't find peace. We'd fallen into addiction and wanted to be free. We felt lost and we needed a path. And so we all did come to God initially in a quid pro quo state. Lord, if you will do for me, then I will do for you. But if we stay there, if we stay in that kind of relationship with God where he does for us and so then we do for him, we will never mature. We will never grow up. If we only stay with God as long as he comes through for us, then we will know that we are using him for our own ends. And that's not the way that you love someone. That's not the way that you receive their love. It's not the way that you obey the one who created you. If we stay there, we will be up and down depending upon how things are going. And we will be tempted to turn away from God every time something bad happens to us. But if we go through darkness, depression, and despair, and silence, and we don't feel that God is there, but we hold on like Heman does, and we say, Lord, I feel helpless. I feel like you've left me. I feel like you don't hear me, but you are my God. You are God, and I am not. If we say, in my despair and depression, in my darkness, I'm going to come to the Sunday gathering. I'm going to sing. I'm going to confess. I'm going to pray. I'm going to live with my neighbors and my parish family. And I'm going to love other people, even if my despair doesn't go away. Then we will become people of depth, of endurance, of steadfast trust, of kindness and strength and mercy and empathy. 
See, this psalm teaches us that the God of the Bible is the God of the desperate. He is the God of the depressed. He's the God of the despairing. Derek Kidner, who is a psalm commentator, said this. He said this about Psalm 88. The very presence of this prayer in scripture is witness to God's understanding. He knows how people speak when they are desperate. See, God places this word in his word. In so doing, he does this on purpose. And in so doing, he identifies himself as Heman's God. A God who is understanding, compassionate, and gracious. And you've hear, you hear the way that Heman is speaking to the Lord. He's confused and he's angry. Have you ever had a difficult conversation with someone? Maybe they've hurt you and you're explaining to them how they've hurt you. Maybe you're even on the border of attacking them and they've sat there with you patiently. They haven't returned anger. They've listened. Maybe even empathized with your pain and your emotions. Weren't you incredibly humbled by their grace? How much greater the understanding of this God who listens to all that Heman brings. By listening to Heman and by hearing him, he says, I'm the God of a person who prays like this. I am the God of the desperate, of the indecorous, of the discarded. I am a God of grace. But Heman is sure that God still is not there. You've left me. You've sent me down to the pit. This pain is objective. This despair is permanent. You have clearly cut me off and there is no way back. How do we know that this was not the end for Heman? How do we know that when we experience such things, it's not the end of us? Because Jesus, a man who was even more God-fearing, more God-loving, more God-glorifying than Heman, went to the cross. And when he died on the cross, he was put in the tomb. He was the one who was abandoned to despair like no one else ever has been. And he wasn't just a man, he was God's son. On the eve of his arrest, Jesus took his disciples to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And knowing the cross and death and the tomb awaited him, he said this. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Psalm 88 is Jesus' prayer. It's the prayer that he prayed in the garden. It's the prayer that he prayed on the cross. This psalm amplifies what it meant for Jesus to take up our sufferings and despair. It shows what it meant for him to be completely forsaken by God and by man. And he knew the only way that we would be freed from the dark if he, God the Son, was thrown into it. Knowing that God 
is the Lord of light is really no help to us when we're groping around in the dark alone. Knowing that God is the word is no help to us when we're laying in an open grave and we can hardly hear his voice. If God is going to be the Lord of lords, if he's going to be the king of kings, then he has to be Lord of light and dark. He has to be the Lord of life and death. I mean, if he's going to rescue us from the darkness, from our silence, from our depression, he has to enter into it. That's why what Paul said to the Colossians is so important. In Colossians 1, verses 15 and 18, he says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation, but he also says that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. Why? So that he will be preeminent in all things. When Jesus died, he joined the ranks of those who go down to the pit. He was cut off from the hand of the Father. His soul was discarded to the deep. But the word, the eternal word of God died in the darkness, was silenced in darkness for this very purpose so that he would become the Lord of darkness, the Lord of despair. When God the son entered the grave to grab the keys of death and Hades. He didn't just become the Lord of life. He became the Lord of death. On the cross, Jesus's eyes grew dim and they closed. He breathed his last and he fell into the abyss. The light of the world became dark in death. The eternal word of God went silent in despair. His only father and only help turned away. And Jesus, who had only walked on the water, went under the waves. But the Son of God cannot claim to be the Lord of Sheol without turning death upside down. Because death cannot hold him, he is too big. Silence cannot hold him. He is too loud. Creation can only be remade if God's voice breaks out from the silence of death and darkness and depression and despair. And on the third day, Jesus explodes from the tomb with much to say. Through tasting death and submitting to its silence, he twists death inside out. He makes death become a gate to new life. Death ceases to be the end and it becomes the new beginning. And because he goes to, the, to Sheol as the word of God, he sings praises from the tomb. Imagine this. Do you work wonders for the dead? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Resurrection's dawn answers all of human's questions with a resounding yes. His wonders and faithfulness are proclaimed from the tomb. The dead do praise him. 
in the wake of his resurrection, despair, the grave, depression are now no longer places of silence. They're no longer places of ultimate darkness. Just as in the beginning, the living word spoke in the darkness and created life. In the 400 years of silence, the word spoke out again in darkness. And here in the tomb, Jesus speaks again out of darkness. A new creation has come. His faithfulness is now not just known in the light, but in the dark. His faithfulness is not just known in our joy, but in our despair. The voice of God thunders all the way down to the grave, all the way to the bottom of the pit, and death and depression and despair respond with a choral cry of glory. See, Jesus Christ took the penalty of sin and won the favor of God. The promise now God makes to us is that he'll never abandon us. When Jesus was on the cross and darkness fell over all the land, he stayed on the cross. He didn't abandon us at the moment of his greatest darkness. And so we can know that in the moments of our greatest darkness, he will not abandon us. He will stay. He will fight for us when we can't fight. He will speak for us when we can't speak. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Sojourn Galleria, how can we live as kingdom ambassadors in light of the Savior that speaks when we are silent, who acts when we cannot? I think briefly just four things. One is a quote, and three are not an exhaustive list, but just some places for us to start and to think. First, this is from Michael Wilcock, who is also a a commentator of the Psalms, and he says this about Psalm 88. This darkness can happen to a believer, but it doesn't mean you're lost. This darkness can happen to someone who doesn't deserve it. After all, it happened to Jesus, and he did not deserve it. But it doesn't mean that you've strayed. This darkness can happen at any time as long as the world lasts, as this world lasts. Because only in the new world will such things be done away with. This darkness can happen without you knowing why, but there are answers. There is a purpose, and eventually we will know it. Number two, depression despair, darkness. These are not useless tools in the hand of our God who is working even awful things for our good. Who who else can do that? God made Heman into a man that deeply trusted and depended upon him. We know from the Bible that he wrote other Psalms. He praised God again. By his grace, we will do the same 
He will do the same for us here, Sojourn. Remember, this is about who we're becoming in Christ, both as individual image bearers and as this church body. We are being matured and changed from one degree of glory to another into the fullness and stature and measure of Christ. And that won't happen only through victory in times of ease. God may want to build something in you that can only come as he walks with you through a dark season of depression. He may allow a season of despair to come in order to mature your trust in his faithfulness and to deepen your dependence in him. What if depression and despair aren't just the things that you need to get past? What if it could be seen as the Lord intending it to be the crucible where you learn to receive his grace in more intimate ways? Number three, we may not know the reason for our suffering and depression. We may not know why. In the book of Job, even though it was Satan who instigated his suffering and God who allowed it, he never was told why he suffered. He was never told why. The only thing that God revealed to Job was that he was God and Job was not. And miraculously, Job is satisfied with that answer. Scripture does not teach us how to figure out the reasons for our suffering. It doesn't give us knowledge so that we will have intellectual mastery of our circumstances. It gives us knowledge and wisdom so that we would know to trust God. It gives us knowledge to suffer in that God word direction. I know this is happening, but I'm not gonna suffer away from you. I'm gonna suffer towards you, to you, in front of you. What kind of people is that gonna build? Can we imagine? Somehow turning to God and trusting him with the mysteries of our depression and despair is the answer to our depression and despair. All suffering is intended to train us to fix our eyes on the one true God. And so in the darkest moments of our life, in depression and despair, it will be time to answer the most important questions of all. Whom will we trust? Whom will we worship? And number four, just like I said at the beginning, how-to's practical advice that shouts from the top of the abyss. Jesus didn't shout grace and encouragement from the top of the abyss. He went to the very bottom and sung the praises of God in the deep. And so because Christ walks with us in our darkness, we are empowered to walk with one another through darkness as well. In our parishes, in our offices, in our prayer gatherings, at our dinner tables, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. We can love and mourn and shoulder depression with one another. We can welcome those in darkness into our parishes, into our lives. If we're in depression, it means that we don't have to see ourselves as only a bother and isolate. No, your depression, believe it or not, in God's hands is a blessing to your parish because God is at work in the midst of that. This may sound strange to say it, but don't rob your parish of your despair.
we can love and mourn and shoulder depression with people knowing that Jesus plumbed the depths of all sorrow, grief, and depression, and the Holy Spirit is carrying us by his grace and power. I'm so glad that we get to do it together. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalm 88 and not ironically. We thank you that, Lord, that miraculously that as we read this Psalm and as we read it in days to come that we would be able to see and hear the words of Jesus that he was the one who was weighed down by your wrath on the cross. He was the one who was abandoned to darkness, whose only friends were darkness. But we can also see that he was the one who continued to entrust himself to you. And we pray that you would make us these kinds of people. We pray that you would bring to Sojourn Galleria, these kinds of people. So Lord, that the light in the face of Jesus Christ would shine forth in our hearts. And even though there may be tears in our eyes, pain in our hearts, pain in our bodies, Lord, that we would still Lord, entrust ourselves to you to suffer towards you, even if we're crawling. It makes me think of Jesus on his way to Golgotha, stumbling left and right, but headed, headed to the mountain. I pray that we would come stumbling, even in despair to you, and that you would be gracious as you received him and to receive us, our questions and confusion anger you would make us a kind of people who are merciful slow to anger abounding in love we pray that you'd make us those kinds of people and that you would do you'd use any means necessary to do it Lord help us help us to trust you we pray we ask it in your name amen